0: Within the South Asian community, we are now realizing the magnitude of traumas that have been passed down from generation to generation. Many of you who are listening may be first generation Americans with South Asian parents. This can lead to something called intergenerational conflict, which is compounded with an intercultural struggle. We want to identify with our family's cultural background, but also want to embrace being an American. And this can get pretty messy. When speaking with Anjali Badrinath, a master's student of clinical mental health counseling at the College of New Jersey, she speaks about how, within the South Asian community, no one ever really tells you how to cope with trauma. Our parents, grandparents, and ancestors seemed to use other methods to cope with difficult moments in their lives. Professional help was usually never considered. During this conversation, we chat about how oftentimes South Asians are dissuaded from seeking therapy using something called the collectivist framework. But, on the bright side, we are slowly but surely breaking the stigma of mental health conditions within the South Asian community through sources like social media, films, TV, and the growing number of therapists like Anjali who are passionate about understanding and serving the South Asian population. My name is Hethel Baman, and this is the Global Health Pursuit. Welcome to the podcast, Anjali. I am very happy to have you here. This is really exciting for me just because this topic,
1: I think it hits close to home. Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Like I will literally talk anybody's ear off about this So, having a (laughs) platform to spread this information and connect with other people like yourself who are really passionate about it. You know, that means a lot. So thank you. Amazing. So tell me a
0: little bit about yourself and about your story.
1: So basically, I start with this literally every single time that someone asks me this question, but I was a pharmacy major. So I went into undergrad with the intention of doing a PharmD program. I hated it. It wasn't the thing for me. Why did you do pharmacy? What was the first reason why? My parents. That was pretty much. And like, I can't blame them because like my dad's a pharmacist. So many people in my family are in the health field, the medical field. So it was just my whole life. People were saying, oh, she's going to go and do something mm-hmm. in the health field with science. And I did well in high school. So like they were like, oh, this is just the path she's going to take. There was really no opportunity to explore anything else. And that's just a whole product of our community. You would know like it's just yes. a multi-generational concern. And I am now learning from my parents that they had other interests that they just, they were like, okay, well, I'm never going to be able to look at it. So I might as well just not even consider exploring that option. And it makes me think, oh, they could have had a drastically different lifestyle if they had been given that option. But I'm really thankful because like when I was doing pharmacy, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was given the opportunity to switch to something that I liked, which was psych. And now I'm here and I'm just 10 times happier than I ever could have been doing something simply for the expectation of our community. The fact that you said that you didn't
0: have the opportunity to explore other things, that is something that I think is like you said, it's so prevalent in our community. I felt the exact same way because my whole family they're on, they're all in the medical field. They're all, almost all of them are doctors. And I always thought, okay, well, the option that I have is what type of doctor would I be? Right. What specialty would I go in? And I would always say, oh, I want to work with babies, neonatal or pediatrician or something of that nature. And it's really interesting because when I chose engineering, I had a feeling that medical school wasn't going to be it for me. And I had to do the smart thing. And I think oftentimes South Asians will in our community will like think with our, with our minds instead of our hearts to be like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, what's the smart thing to do? And so that's, that's what I did. I took the smart route and I was like, okay, well, if I don't go into medical school, then I'd at least be an engineer and that will still Mm -hmm. be prestigious. And I want you to talk a little bit more about what you discovered from your family, what Mm -hmm. you've been discovering around what they actually wanted to do and what their interests were before going into Mm -hmm. pharmacy.
1: Yeah. These are things that they didn't even tell me about until I got older. Now that I'm in a position where I'm happy and I'm like settled now, I guess they feel that safety of, okay, we don't have to worry about her anymore. Cause right. When I initially <laughs> made the switch, they were like, oh, no, what is going to happen? They knew nothing about the psychology field. So they were like, we don't know anyone in this field. Is she going to make any money? Those were their main concerns. But now that they see, oh, she's doing okay, or maybe she'll be a psychiatrist. That was initially a thing. I know my parents were like, oh, okay, when you switch, you're going to, you're still going to med school, right? And <laughs> that was something I had to put to rest immediately because I was like, I couldn't do pharmacy there's no way I'm doing med school after this. I have to be realistic with what I'm into and also what I'm able to do. So it's been a struggle, but they're also working really hard to better understand me, which I appreciate. And I know I'm lucky because there are people out there whose parents aren't open to that. There are family members who are very stuck in, this is how I'm going to think. And that's it. Right. So I appreciate that a lot from them. So what, what were your parents' interests other than going into pharmacy? So, my dad is the pharmacist. So, he did pharmacy. So, he's very happy now. But before, he did initially want to go into medicine, which is like still kind of under that umbrella of health. But it was something that he was really passionate about. But it wasn't something that he was able to do based on his circumstances and wasn't able to explore it. And I think just growing up, there wasn't even an opportunity to be like, there might be something else that I'd be into because, you know, his family wasn't very well off. So, it had to be something high success. So like from a young age, she was like, okay, I have to grow up and I have to go to America and I have to send money back and make sure that my own parents have this level of, oh, my son is doing super well. Like he's in another country, but my mom, I was talking to her and she likes to hear about psychology and things like that. So I'll tell her about what's going on in classes and stuff. And she's very interested. And there are times where I'll be like, oh, you could have been a therapist. She'll say things that I'm like, oh, wow, like I didn't even think of that. And she'll she's mentioned like, oh, when I was in college, I took a psych class and I really liked it. But that wasn't even something that anyone was like, yeah, you could make a career out of that. So then she went into accounting instead.
0: Wow, such a drastic difference.
1: Right. Yeah. Like it was just something that they were like, OK, like what's going to be appropriate? And then just went that way. But both of them are happy, and I'm glad that they're happy. But I also feel that they weren't able to explore other options. You know, everyone should have the opportunity to explore, make mistakes, and then decide on what they're going to do for the rest of their life. And that's something that a lot of people have the ability, the privilege to do, I guess.
0: Right. That is so interesting. It's almost like you're doing what your mom would have wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just the universe's way of like... Making everything come to fruition. Wow, that's that's so cool. So, when you decided you wanted to become a therapist, what was the light bulb that went off in your head?
1: So, when I was doing pharmacy, like I was truly at a low point for myself, and I just wasn't doing well. I was very isolated. Hmm. You spend a lot of time studying, wanting to do better, and it kind of like takes a toll on your self esteem. And I know there's people out there who. Really struggle with whatever field that they're in right now because they feel that they have to do well. Yeah. So, I just from my own observation of how people were talking about mental health, up till that point, no one was ever like, Are you taking care of your mental health? It was, Are you eating? Are you sleeping? Those basic fundamental physical aspects. Right. The physiological, is that all okay? But no one was like, Are you happy? Are you treating yourself? Are you protecting yourself? So, that was where it kind of clicked of, okay, well, like I enjoy psychology and that's something that I really do want to learn more about. And then noticing our community has very little mental health resources. Now there's so much more, but if I could be someone to provide that sort of advocacy and support to someone else who might be in a similar position, that was where I was like, I feel like this is it for me. Plus I've always been told, wow, you're such a good listener. So I was like, why not just make a career out of something that I'm already good at? So yeah, that's just a kind of click like that.
0: That's awesome. So I want to talk about some statistics around mm-hmm. South Asian therapists, because it's so interesting. In the United States, there are over 192,500 therapists, just about. And the most common ethnicity of therapists, obviously, is white. That's 72.6%, followed by Asian. So I guess that would encompass South Asian as well. Mm-hmm. 113 that's pretty crazy. Can you talk to like
1: where this stems from? One thing I will say about that statistic, it's it's tough because we don't even know how much of that is South Asian, right? Like that's just Asian right. in general, which is so many different ethnicities mm-hmm. and backgrounds. So I'm from my perspective, I just know in general South Asians are just discouraged from this type of field. Even when I first entered this i had not just family members but friends people in my own age group in this generation who were like are you sure like this is what you want to do or therapy is kind of a scam why would you do that like Mm -hmm. why would you get into that field so it was something that i kept hearing people be like oh it's a soft science it's not something that needs to be taken so seriously so i'm like okay if all of you are thinking this way it's no wonder we don't have that many south asian therapists in this country
0: it's so true the first time i asked my parents to go see a therapist my i think it was my dad that was like oh why would you want to do that you can mm-hmm. talk to us or you can talk to your friends so oh, they just want your money you know what's the difference and mm-hmm. the thing that you said about therapy being seen as a scam It is so prevalent. It's so interesting because the title of this episode is My South Asian Parents Think Therapy is a Scam. Dot, dot, dot. What do I do? You know, there was something that I saw. I read a couple articles around this thing called the somatization of mental distress. And Mm -hmm. within the South Asian community, we see that if we're feeling depressed, we don't say that we're feeling depressed we say oh my heart hurts or i have a physical feeling of like a sinking heart it's like a kind of pain that people associate but it's not ever associated to like your mental well-being i find that so interesting do you do you ever encounter that
1: within our community Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that in itself is like a coping skill of being able to accept that something's going on. So if you're able to say, oh, my heart hurts, like you said, or, you know, I feel that sinking feeling in my stomach, it makes it feel more real when in reality, emotions are real. We all feel things and that's like totally valid, but we've just been raised to if you cried or you were angry, it's you need to relax, like you need to calm down. It's too much. It'll pass. Just be happier but it's not that easy. So instead we kind of put it into a physical sort of context of my heart hurts. Oh, then like something's really happening to you right now. Physically, your body is reacting to something that's going on. But that's because we put more emphasis on physical health. So like we can go to a doctor and be like, oh, this is going on. I need help with this. But going to a therapist for the exact same thing, but for mental concerns is completely a no, no. Right. And the other thing I saw
0: was the collectivist framework. Mm -hmm. So the collectivist framework, it's almost like when people say, why therapy? Why aren't we enough? It's why can't you just talk to us? It's a feeling that you've let your parents down for some reason.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. It's where, oh, I have to go to therapy. It's almost like the parents feel like they haven't done enough to keep you happy. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're guilting you to say, you don't need to go there. Like you have a house. Mm. Don't we provide for you enough? That's what I wanted to say, because I saw that and I was like, wow, that is Mm -hmm. so, so true. I've totally experienced that.
1: Yeah, you bring up such a good point with, you know, haven't we provided you enough? We give you food, water, shelter, and you can buy whatever you need to. But I don't know if you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. It's just like this pyramid of, you know, everything that a human being would need to function pretty well. And so, yeah, the basics are... Physiological needs, and then safety, being able to live somewhere, and all that. But then the next few are love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization, which half the time many South Asian families don't really place a lot of emphasis on. And I will say, I think it's because, because I speak more from like the perspective of the immigrant family. If they were in the country of origin, there they have that extended family, they have. Neighborhoods where people are constantly interacting, they're exchanging information, they're hanging out. There, maybe that sense of belonging and self-esteem is better because you feel like you belong, you're part of this embedded network. But they come here often. It's just families, parents and their kids. They leave behind that entire network and they come here, and they no longer have that sense of belonging. Now they're among other populations. They deal with racism and all sorts of forms of discrimination. Right. But parents still expect their kids to be like, well, we're here for you. But that's not the same as what their parents had. Their parents had all of these people and resources to interact with. So then it kind of passes down the sense of I have to deal with this on my own here. And now I have this bicultural identity of at home. I have to deal with my parents' traditions and cultures and make them happy. But I also have to be a good American. Like I have Mm. to acculturate and do everything that's expected of me in an individualistic society versus the collectivist society that my parents are used to.
0: Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are, would you do me a tiny favor? Show me some love by doing one or more of these three things. A- Click the Support This Podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars toward the production of this podcast. My dream is to do this full time, and your support would mean the world. B, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love it just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. That is huge. That reminds me of so many, so many instances growing up, trying to be, a, quote unquote, a good American, mm-hmm. but then coming home and then speaking Gujarati to my to my ba, you know, my grandmom. and it's interesting because I don't even know if this relates, but I'd come home and then my accent, my English accent, would change, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, to <laughs> <laughs> so, Gujarati. So it's like, yeah, we're in this weird identity phase. Mm-hmm that's so huge. And I think that that could lead us into our ne- my next question in terms of the trauma that we face coming into being a first generation or second generation South Asian American. How do we cope with that struggle with trying to understand our parents? Our parents had, I don't want to say difficult life, but a little bit more challenging yeah. And then and then coming here, it's like we have everything provided for us. But then we have all of these things that are coming down from this generational patterns, mm-hmm. like the struggles that they face. And then it's like we have to release it. Yeah. It's almost like
1: our job to release these these traumas. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's such a good point, because with multigenerational trauma, you know, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, they were dealing with a lot of societal issues. Not to say that we aren't right now, but for them, a lot of things regarding political freedoms and war and potentially just very dangerous circumstances to live in. So they didn't really have the opportunity to be like, oh, I'm literally traumatized right now and I need help. And then those behaviors and feelings, they get passed on. And then our parents, they bring those when they bring us here to another country. And so I would say a lot of us have maybe now we have the opportunity to be like, okay, now we have all this generational trauma. My parents are dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. I have the space to maybe observe myself and be like, this is what I need support with, which is probably why we are the generation that is breaking the cycle because we have exposure to that information, to resources online. But not to say that everyone in our generation is able to do that. Either they also kind of buy into what our parents are telling us. And I can't blame them because, you know, if you're raised a certain way, it's hard to unlearn certain things. And if you have that type of connection with your parents, you are going to want to carry on whatever they taught you. But then there's other people who feel like, well, I don't want to go against my parents. I really care about them and I respect what they've done. But also, they've also treated me in a way that has resulted in me feeling a certain way. And now I want to go against that and I want to seek support on my own. But that can be very alienating, right? Like going out there and trying to find support without the backup of your family, without that extended network. And that's why we end up dealing with really high cases of depression and anxiety, especially in our community. When you say that, I feel like the numbers of the statistics are probably really off because we don't actually go in and like seek help. Mm-hmm. There's actually a study that South Asians in America probably have the highest percentage of people who don't utilize mental health services. So we have a lot of concerns that need to be addressed. And we are probably the main population that just doesn't go and get help for it. Wow. You know, what's weird, <laughs> what's funny
0: is that even for us, like my parent, my family is like all in the medical field. But even when we have a medical problem, it's like, uh, eh, just walk it off. Yeah. <laughs>
1: aren't you supposed to
0: tell me that i should go to see the doctor
1: i will say i think a big part of that and plus with like the reluctance to get mental health support is from the immigrant perspective we come here and we're told you know with that model minority myth of we're really high achieving we're in high success fields we do super well despite the circumstances so we're not allowed to be emotionally weak we can't display any levels of vulnerability or tell people, oh, I'm really suffering with this or I'm dealing with this, whether physically or mentally, because, oh, like, how could you possibly, you came this far and now you're showing this type of weakness. It's like
0: you're made of steel. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. Which of course not. You, everyone is allowed to get support. You don't have to be perfect all the time. That reminds me
0: of a time that I went to. So growing up, I would always feel like I had to be the strong one. And I feel like this is probably part of the generational drama where mm-hmm. like, I just had to suck it up. I couldn't cry in front of people. I remember when we went to see that Indian movie, *Kabhi Khushi Cushy Gham* in the theaters. And there was one part where I just teared up and I was like, just, you know, like try to, try to not like let anybody see that I'm crying and I find that that is so interesting because I, I would think that if I were to show weakness, then everything would just crumble around me. Like, you know, the whole, my whole family would just be like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What, what's happening? It's like a big, like a whole big drama. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now I cry like every day, but like.
1: <laughs> but Understandable. Yeah. You know, I just gotta, I just gotta let it out. Yeah, it builds up. That's why we have such high rates of anger management concerns and depression, because we just sit there with it. Yeah, we don't show emotion so much. And I think that that's
0: also another, I feel like another reason why showing emotion within the family is something mm-hmm. that we don't really see too much. I think that's like, in Asian families, I love you barely ever comes out of my dad's mouth. Mm. although i know he loves me very much it's just like the emotional side of things never come out yeah
1: and i think they probably do want to hear it and they do want to say it it's just it goes against everything they've ever learned it's like the most uncomfortable thing
0: it is wow Mm -hmm. do you ever see south asian parents come seek therapy after immigrating to
1: the states I have not yet, but I can't imagine that there would be none. I'm sure there right. are people who are like willing to go get that help, but I think when you are like, you know, immigrating to another country, it's probably the last thing on your mind, which in reality it could probably be one of the first few things you do because it would probably help you deal with everything else, cope with everything more. else. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But then again, you know, no one in, when you're like sending your family to another country, no one's like make sure you go get emotional support when you go. <laughs> like just make sure that you settle, you get your job set up and everything, but no one's like, get married. <laughs> right, get married, have your kids. No one's talking about the emotional part of it. But it's all a path. Getting married, having kids, getting settled, gets this path that we all have to follow. But then if we deviate, then you're doing something awful. And it's a, it's a huge betrayal to the family. So then you start building up. It's resentment and guilt, and no one really gets to process that.
0: Can you talk about the whole betrayal part of mm-hmm. the family because it's like when I quit my job at J&J that's something that I thought for a very long time where first I don't go to med school and I get this great job at J&J and then I end up quitting and it was like mm-hmm. it felt almost like guilt and betrayal at the same time mm-hmm. And I had to I had to take a long time to like overcome that because it's like mm-hmm. I'm myself as I knew that this wasn't what I wanted to do. But I had to get over the fact that my parents may never understand.
1: Yeah, that acceptance of parents are never going to understand, but I'm OK with the decision that I've made. Like That's the toughest thing to come to terms with. Because it doesn't mean that your parents don't care about you and don't support your decisions. But at the same time, it would feel nice to have their unconditional support. But there is that sense of if you do anything past the standards that they've set for you, it's immediately you've had a bad influence. You're being too American. You're not adhering to the culture. Even just like little things, it's because they don't want to not be involved. You bring home someone, oh, I'm dating this person. Well, I wanted to pick who you were going to marry. Why would you go out and find someone for yourself? Or I'm going to switch career paths. Well, I don't know anything about that career. I don't feel included in this conversation. You've Mm. just gone and selected something that only you are interested in. Like, it's, again, like that collectivist culture of why aren't we involved in every aspect of your life? But here we grow up and they're like, do what you need to do. Be an individual. That's so hard to split and kind of figure out what works. You can't please everybody. But at least you should be pleasing yourself.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because I, for a really long time, I almost had to, I felt like I had to protect my family Mm. from all of the backlash that may have occurred. Mm -hmm. It's like when I made the decision to leave, I had all of these, I, I knew this was happening in the background where a lot of my family members would call my parents and be like, what is hethel doing oh she should get a job why did she leave this great job it's been so long when is she gonna get a job Hmm. and for a really long time i thought that i had to protect my parents from all of that backlash and that plays into the whole collectivist mindset because it's like the whole family it's like you do one thing and you betray the whole family Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like well, I just kind of, I kind of want to do my own thing. And I I know you don't know much about this, this mm-hmm. whole entrepreneurship lifestyle, but I'm going to try it. And I think I'm smart enough to get it going. And if, and if it doesn't work out, then yeah, like I can always get another job. But
1: mm-hmm. that's something that I feel like prevents so many of us from actually stepping out There's like that huge reputational pressure of, okay, it's not just my parents I have to worry about. It's literally every other auntie and uncle who lives in the (laughs) neighborhood. (laughs) So if they see something happening, I'm going to have to explain myself because it's going to come back to my family, which is not fair. How long could you possibly live for somebody else's dreams? And then you will grow up resentful. You don't want to grow up with the regrets of, well, I could have done this for myself, but instead I did everything the way that I was supposed to. But there's no supposed to. That's a big thing that you said, because my career
0: coach, she was like, you know, in the beginning of when we would would talk, I started Mm -hmm. working with her in like November, I think. And she was telling me that in the beginning, you were saying phrases like, I have to, I am supposed to, I need to. And then now finally changing that mindset to, I want to. I would like to, it would be great to. And I think it's so subconscious. Like I never knew mm-hmm. that
1: I was doing that. Probably because our parents talk like that every day. Like they don't even realize it either, but everything is a, oh, I have to make sure this happens. I got to make sure that this is okay. That's not true. Like you you can do what you need to do. Nothing is a have to. So I am so happy because
0: there's, I've been seeing you know, in the South Asian community, we've seen a lot of like things in the media to try to break the mm-hmm. stigma, you know, for example, Never Have I Ever, where like mm-hmm. Maitri goes to therapy and there's another Indian movie that we saw, Dear Zing- Deersindagi. Mm-hmm. have you seen that yeah. one? I have, yeah. I want to ask you, what what do you see the media doing to actually create a change in like the South Asian mentality of mental health?
1: I will say, like, so like you said, like, Never Have I Ever and the Ghee. there's not a ton of things coming out where mental health is the main concept. But there are a ton of things coming out now with South Asians as main characters with fully developed personalities. And that in itself is so therapeutic to watch to see. I'm not a stereotype. I don't have to adhere to all these expectations. There are people on screen who have full characters they are people with families and dreams and ambitions and there's bound to be somebody who connects with that and so i'm super happy to start seeing that just the other day there was a south indian movie that won an oscar and to see the arts be highlighted like that so i know my parents were like oh wow indians can go ahead and be in the art field and like be in media having south asians be represented in fields that they're normally not represented in like that in itself is wow like this is an option now like people can be successful and happy because before like that really wasn't the case it was sort of just very stigmatized but also like with social media i know i'm following like a ton of accounts right now there's so many people out there who are putting out content and resources about supporting south asians i was so happy to find those i'm i'm hoping that they like start spreading a little bit more awareness and people are aware of these sites like i know there's a site called brown girl therapy she has like a newsletter that goes out that she talks about being culturally enough south asian therapist website that's like a network of just south asian therapists amazing there's just so many different websites so i'm really grateful to be living in a time when this is available to me But also, I have to be aware that it's not enough. We still don't have as many resources as many other populations do. So it's it's a work in progress. And then we have people like you who are like offering platforms like this to talk about it, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I mean, as somebody who is experiencing anxiety, depression, all of that stuff, it took a really long time to talk about it. To even say like, this is how I'm feeling. And I don't, I don't feel like I have to run to my room and lock the door and cry
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: anymore. It's actually really nice when, for example, when we, my family and I watched *Dear Zindagi* together, mm-hmm. and my mom turned around, she was like, "I'm so sorry." Oh. It was really, really sweet. She was like, "If I ever made you feel like that." And it's so funny because like, even at that time, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) you know, (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Even at that point, it's like, it's still hard to fully have that conversation. But even to break the ice a little bit is so refreshing.
1: It goes a long way, right? Like now that she's done that, maybe she's like, okay, well, now maybe I can bring up this a little bit later. It's baby steps and it's going to take such a long time, but I can be proud of that generation for wanting to take those steps. Because it's not going to happen unless they want it, and so I know they're really putting in that effort.
0: So, in terms of your career aspirations, you're right now in graduate school, right? Mm-hmm. So what are what are your
1: plans for the future? So I am graduating this year. So Yay. the goal is to eventually thank you. Yeah, um, the goal is to <laughs> eventually go on to do a doctoral program. But with regards to this, I've been doing a lot of advocacy. I'm hoping to speak on other platforms and just sort of share my knowledge about it. I do eventually want to work with the South Asian population. Like right now where I'm working, it's not just, a, it's not a population that really shows up very much in the clientele. So I'm hoping that that's something that I can kind of spread my reach out to, but it's a process it, it's going to keep going. And yeah. It is a process. Thank you so much
0: for coming onto the podcast. This was really, really refreshing to talk about. And like I said, very, very
1: close to my heart. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anjali. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a cool opportunity and I hope that we can stay connected moving forward.
0: Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and our guest today, head over to www.globalhealthpursuit.com Forward slash show notes to get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes that we're so passionate about. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and our guest today, head over to the show notes to get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes that we're so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.